Movies. We all watch them. We all love them. But now it's time for me to tell you about some of my favourites. Welcome to Talking with Ty. Here we are, my first ever podcast, and I thought in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, what better way to spend my time than telling everyone my personal opinions. Ever since I was little, my favourite things in the world have been video games and movies, so I thought I'd compile a list of my top 10 films of all time and tell you why I love them so much. Number 10. So, coming in at number 10 is the 1995 classic. It is Batman Forever. Now I know what you're thinking. Ty, why don't you put one of the better Batman movies in there, like The Dark Knight Rises, or The Dark Knight, or even 1989's Batman. Well, I'll tell you why. Now, Batman as a series was the first superhero series that I was ever introduced to as a child. So for me, it's always had a special place in my heart. I remember watching the original ones, so like Batman 1989 and Batman Returns, both by Tim Burton. So when this film came out, I was super excited. Now, when I say I was super excited, I was four at the time, so I probably don't think I'll watch this film maybe for at least two or three years. Now, when I did first watch this film, it was a completely different style and tone to the previous two. The first two were dark gritty and quite violent whereas this one was just campy bright bold and in your face now one of the first things i did notice about this movie was the fact that they'd recast batman and two-face but they hadn't recast some of the other characters and as a child that just really confused me i don't know why but Obviously, I now know it was because of contractual obligations and disagreements with the directors. And speaking of directors, the previous two movies, like I said, were by Tim Burton. So this one by Joel Schumacher, which means that different directors, completely different takes on the movies. Like I said, the Tim Burton's ones were dark and creepy in that classic Tim Burton style. Now, this one was very camp. Everyone was covered in neon paints that glowed in the dark. And Batman made a lot more jokes. It's a very strange taking for Batman. But for some reason it worked. And I think the reason that it worked was because of the villains. Now the villains in this film were Harley Two-Face, played by Tommy Lee Jones. And the Riddler, played by possibly my favourite actor of all time. The one and only... Jim Carrey. As always, Jim Carrey brought his unique craziness to role. He's always full out. He's so vocally just animated and charged. His body moves in ways that no one else can. And he brought that to the role of the Riddler, who in the comics usually was quite serious and smart. Whereas on the other hand, Tommy Lee Jones has been famously known for being stone-faced, quite serious in his movies. Yet somehow... In this film, he matches the wackiness of Jim Carrey. And I'm not really sure it worked for him. But in the overall theme of the movie, for me personally, I thought it was just hilariously brilliant. 
there's so many funny moments in this film between Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones that there's just too many to list. But the one that always sticks out for me is when they're in a diamond store robbing it and Tommy Lee Jones just tries to teach the Riddler how to punch. And it's just, it's just stupid. But for me, it's just iconic. Now, in this film, there's a lot of scenes that I think, you know what, I don't know why they're in here. They make no sense, but they're funny. The weirdest, pointless scene for me is definitely the ninja laundry scene. For some reason, they thought it was a good idea. Chris O'Donnell's just been introduced as Robin. He's become an orphan. He's moved in with Bruce Wayne. Everyone knows he's going to suit up and become Batman's sidekick. What better way to show off his skills than show him using a pair of wet socks as nunchucks. Don't get me wrong, I definitely did try and recreate this scene when I was younger. Every time I did washing, spin my socks round, thinking I was cool as shit. Definitely wasn't. There's so many bad things about this movie that I shouldn't enjoy it. But overshadowing that are the things that I do love about it. And they are the quotes, the fight scenes, the actors and everything. Most of my favourite quotes do obviously come from Jim Carrey's Riddler, as they are all just the riddles. And I think that's what started me on my journey when I was younger, to just being good at riddles, because I just searched them up and be like, ooh, I'm going to be the Riddler one day. <laughs> In case you haven't guessed, I was a very strange child. Some of the other quotes that did get me, though, were... One of the first lines in the movie, Alfred walks up and he, Batman's all suited up, ready to go. And Alfred goes, can I offer you a sandwich, sir? And Batman just looks at him and goes, I'll get dry through. Now imagine Batman just like driving up to McDonald's in the Batmobile and ordering like a Happy Meal or some McNuggets or something. It's just ridiculous. God, I miss McDonald's. But as much as I am absolutely in love with this movie there is one thing i would definitely change about it and i think every batman fan everywhere agrees with this and that quite simply is the bat nipples that's all i'm going to say about it google it if you have to enough said number nine now coming in at number nine was a movie from 1993 Everyone knows this movie. I'm pretty sure everyone has seen this movie. And it is Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. Now, what can I say about Jurassic Park that hasn't already been said? It's just one of the best movies of all times. The cast is amazing. The music is phenomenal. And the fact they didn't use CGI and they use animatronic dinosaurs. Just wow. I remember the first time I ever watched this movie. I was with my granddad. It was about 1994 and he put it on and I was just mind blown. I'd always loved dinosaurs as a child. So to see a realistic looking dinosaur in a movie was just fantastic. Now, as a four or five year old, I didn't know these dinosaurs weren't real. So all I wanted was a pet dinosaur. And there's books and movies on why that would have been a terrible idea. What makes this film great for me is just a multitude of different genres you get mashed up into one movie. You get the documentary style with Richard Attenborough where they show the dinosaurs and they teach you about everything. It's a learning movie, people. You also get the adventure side where they're running away, they're trying to solve the problem and save everyone, and then you also get the horror 
elements of it. The T-Rex crushing a car, eating a man off the toilet, best scene in the movie, people. The velociraptors in the kitchen still would scare anyone to this day. It's a creepy scene. And you also get comedy. Now, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be comedic or if he's supposed to be a funny character, but for me, Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm, whenever he's on scene, he's just funny. He's comedy gold. No matter what he says, I find myself chuckling, I find myself laughing, and I think I actually think he might be my favourite character in the entire series. Now, obviously, the film is based off of a book, and obviously it's not completely accurate to the book. But here's a fun fact for you. Universal bought the rights to the book for $2 million before it even been published. That's how certain they were that this film was going to be a success. They bought it before he'd even started selling it. Now, before I stop talking about this film, I'm just going to say one thing I absolutely love about it, and one thing like that, well, I don't really care for about it. The thing I absolutely love about it is basically the music. That Jurassic Park score by John Williams is just epic. It's my alarm, it's my ringtone. Whenever I'm feeling sad, I just put on the Jurassic Park music and it makes me feel like I can achieve anything. So bravo, John Williams, you did it again. And the thing I dislike about the movie is quite simple. Lex and how much that girl screams. Oh my God. Just tone it down a notch, for God's sake. Number eight. Now, coming in at number eight, we have Sister Act 2. Now, I know a lot of people prefer Sister Act 1. Me, personally, I prefer the second one, and here's why. It's set in a school and focuses, well, one mainly on Sister Mary Clarence as well, but as well as that, it focuses it on some ghetto youths and shows their struggle with coming to grips with, you know what, singing and dancing is pretty cool. And if I want to sing, I shouldn't let anyone stop me. Now the music in this one, I personally think, beats the first one. I mean, have you heard that note in Oh Happy Days? Chills. Literal chills every time. Then you've got Joyful Joyful. Who would have thought that you could bring gospel music and hip-hop rap and put them together? No one, no one did, and that's why I love this movie. Now, I think the deciding reason I've put this in my top 10 movies of all time is just not because of the movie itself, it's because what the movie's done in everyday life. Now, some of my best friends in the world, I met them, we got along quite well, but then we found our love for the movie Sister Act, and I've spent many a drunken nights with one of my best friends in the world, Candice. We get drunk, we put the Sister Act soundtrack on, and we reenact every song. We take in turns, we take different parts, we attempt high notes, never works. And it's just brought me so many happy memories. Not even watching the film, just talking about the film with my best friend. Number seven. And creeping in at number seven, we have a Christmas movie. Oh wait. Or is it a Halloween movie? Or is it both? We have The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is not directed by Tim Burton. He just produced it, much to everyone's mistake and dismay. 
I still remember how I discovered this movie. I was about oh, seven and I got a video, a VHS tape, and it was advertised in Disneyland. I'm guessing it was around the time that Nightmare Before Christmas came out because halfway through the video, it, well, it clearly said coming soon and then showed the entire sequence of what's this. So from him falling down, landing in snow and the entirety of the song. I remember learning every single word to it and thinking, wow, this is amazing. He's a skeleton, but he's in Christmas. It's so cool. There was something just so unique and novel about having a mashup of two different holidays mixed with one of my favourite things in the world, stop motion animation. It's just amazing. Obviously, I'd love to see a sequel to this movie, but they've always said they won't ever do it because it would feel too much like a cash grab. So they've said the sequels easily would be Jack going to Easterland, Jack going to Thanksgiving World. I mean, they show all the doors at the start of the film. They even bring the Easter Bunny into Halloween Town. Hashtag spoiler alert. What I love about this movie is the fact that it just shows the brilliance that is the mind of Tim Burton. It's so dark and creepy, yet so happy and cutesy. And it also deals with some like quiet dark themes like Jack's having an existential crisis he's like oh I'm bored of my everyday mundane life let's try something new then goes back and realizes everything he ever wanted was there all along and once again it's becoming a reoccurring theme throughout my favorite movies the soundtrack man the soundtrack is so good I mean of course it is it's Danny Elfman who fun fact provides the singing voice of Jack Skellington because the actual voice actor, Chris Sarandon, admitted he can't sing at all. So Danny Elfman did it. But back to the music. From What's This all up to Oogie Boogie's song, each song manages to portray that weird mix of both Christmas and Halloween. They do it perfectly. So you've got the, the plinky-plonky chimes and bells of Christmas, but then you've got the dark words of Halloween all being blended into one. It's just glorious and then if you listen to the soundtrack on like cd or whatever streaming website you listen to all your music on the soundtrack is narrated by the one and only patrick stewart that's just a surefire way of getting anyone to listen put patrick stewart's voice on anything and boom i'm there number six okay now we're getting to the hard part of the list where it was really difficult to actually choose what my favorite six movies were so I'm going to give it a try, and hopefully I don't offend anyone. So coming in at number six, we have yet again another movie from the 90s. This one from 1996, and it is easily my favourite sports movie of all time. Not only is it a sports movie, it's the perfect mix of live action and animation. It is, of course, Space Jam. I mean, what's not to love about Space Jam? You've got sports, you've got the Looney Tunes, you've got the voice of Danny DeVito, and you have got, without a single-handed doubt, the biggest sports star of the 90s, Michael Jordan, all in a film that's just around about 90 minutes. It is, as always, what good movies are. The classic tale of good versus evil. We've got the Looney Tunes versus the Monstars. Now, the Monstars, well, they're not actually called Monstars, they're called Nerdlux. And what they do is they go down to the NBA 
they steal the talent of some of the best basketball players because they want to capture the Looney Tunes. And Looney Tunes make a fair deal. If you beat us in a game of basketball, we'll go with you. So these guys, they steal the powers. And to even out the playing field, the Looney Tunes recruit the help of the one and only Air Jordan, Mr. Michael Jordan himself. Spoilers ahead. Obviously, Michael Jordan helps the Looney Tunes win the basketball game. The aliens then send their bosses back in and become good guys, never to be seen again, might I add. But it is that time again for me to talk about, you guessed it, the soundtrack. Now, the soundtrack for the most part is absolutely fantastic. You've got a bunch of jock jams. Once again, we've got some seal with a bit of fly like an eagle, but then... This movie did come out in 1996. Controversial subject. I believe I can fly. It's now tainted the end of this movie for me. I still watch it, but I don't feel that happy, joyous feeling when R. Kelly appears in my ears. Thoughts on a postcard? Now, before we get into my top five movies of all time, if you like movies as much as I do, but you think, Ty, you've not really put any horror movies on here yet. Well, I've got just the thing for you. If you head on over to YouTube and look up Talk Horror number two, me. It's my friend Emily's YouTube channel. She's just started it, and all she does is talk about horror movies. So, if like her and myself... You're a movie aficionado and your subject of choice is horrors. Head on over, give it a like and a subscribe, and enjoy. And now, back to the scheduled program. Number five. And now, flying its way into number five, to me, might be the greatest sequel of all time. It is Back to the Future 2. This film took everything great about the first movie and just timesed it by 10. From the confusing plot lines of two different timelines in the story, to the character development, to just the way they portray the year 2015, it's just beautiful. Obviously we have now gone past the date of which they travel forward to, and unfortunately we didn't actually get half of the things that they promised, but they did work around this in one of their special anniversary releases. They did film a short mini film with Christopher Lloyd reprising his role of Doc Brown saying how he went even further into the future and all the stuff that they promised us in Back to the Future 2 had caused the end of the world. So then he went back in time to stop it all being made. So really everything is canon, but it's not. And even still, still want a hoverboard and I still want them Nike shoes that do up when you put your feet in. But one can dream, can't we? Now, a funny fact about this movie that a lot of people don't know unless you Google it. Crispin Glover, who played George McFly, aka Marty's dad in the first one, doesn't appear in the second one. I don't know what you're thinking, but Tyler character George does appear. But it's actually someone else wearing a prosthetic face to look like Crispin Glover. Because at the end of the first movie, people would argue that Marty didn't actually learn anything from his hijinks, time travelling, 
and that he stayed the same. And Crispin Glover didn't like this, so he quit. When they were making the second one, they're like, "Well, like, oh my God, we need we need his character." So they cast someone else, put a mask on to make him look like Crispin Glover, but didn't actually ask him. So Crispin Glover then went to sue the company. And shock horror, here we go again. Tyres talking about the music in movies. I mean, come on, Alan Silvestri's score for this. It's just iconic, everyone knows that. Then you've got all like the 50s music with a Buddy Holly and everything. It's just phenomenal. Now, some people would say the first one is better. Some people would say the second one is better, like myself. But I think everyone can agree the third one was not better than any. Back to the Future 2 is the perfect time travel movie, in my opinion. Every time I watch this movie, I notice something that I didn't notice on a watch through before. And I hope that when I watch this movie in the future, I still continue to find things. I go, oh, wait, that's why that happened. And I just realised as well, this is the first movie on my list that wasn't made in the 1990s. Go me, taking it back to the 80s. Number four. Shooting its way into number four. Yet again, it's another 90s movie. I have a reoccurring theme here, I think. It is Pulp Fiction. Now, Pulp Fiction is a movie I definitely should not have watched until at least 2009. I did. And I loved it. From the star-studded cast, we've got John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, Uma Thurman, Bruce Willis, Ving Rhames, Christopher Walken, Steve Buscemi, Harvey Keitel, and even Quentin Tarantino himself. Plus more that I really couldn't be bothered to list. It's just a star-studded cast, and each scene feels like it fits perfectly into the story, which isn't in a linear narrative. Things go to flashbacks without you knowing. The entire story is just set out of place right until the end, where it all makes sense. Now, I've spoken to a lot of people over the years about this movie. Some people love it, some people hate it, but the people that love it always say the one scene that is their favourite is, of course, one of the first scenes in the movie. It's where Samuel Jackson's character and John Travolta's character go into Brett's house. They talk about the Big Kahuna Burger... They talk about Marcellus Wallace being a bitch. And then Samuel Jackson drops us with the greatest quote of all time. Ezekiel 2517, the path of the righteous man. That scene has become so famous that even movies Samuel Jackson has appeared in afterwards reference that moment. The main one being the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain America the Winter Soldier, where Nick Fury, spoiler alert, dies but doesn't die, and they have a funeral for him. His gravestone says Ezekiel 2517. That's how much of an impact that one scene has made on the world. Now, don't get me wrong, the rest of the movie is just as good, and for a film that was two and a half hours back in the early 90s, that was quite unheard of. For a film that long back then, to be as gripping from start to finish is just amazing. I mean, a lot of people have their issues with it, saying that it glorifies drug abuse and gun violence and hate crime. But at the end of the day, it's just a movie. Like, get over it. 
And going back to my favourite scene in Brett's house, that brings us one of the greatest movie opening soundtracks of all time. That epic guitar solo totally just sets the scene and bookends that perfect opening scene. Number four. And moving into movie number four. Shock horror, we've got another movie from the 90s. But this one is a repeat director. We've gone for the 1991 Steven Spielberg classic, that is Hook. Now, Hook is the up-to-date sequel, I would say, to the film and book, Peter Pan. It's about Peter Pan that's grown up, left Neverland and all of his past behind him, and has forgotten who he truly is. And it's up to his family, the rest of the Lost Boys, and even Captain James Hook himself to remind him that he is the one, the only, the boy that never grows up, Peter Pan. Now, regardless of the plot and the storyline itself, what makes this movie simply is the cast. Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Maggie Smith, and Bob Hoskins. I mean, what a cast. Robin Williams does, of course, play Peter Pan. Dustin Hoffman, the titular Hook. Maggie Smith plays Wendy, and Bob Hoskins plays Smee. Robin Williams, at the start of the film, plays Peter Banning. Basically, he's just a miserable corporate worker. When his children get kidnapped by Captain Hook, he goes to Netherland with Tinkerbell, played by Julia Roberts, and meets Captain Hook. And from then, he slowly learns that he was Peter Pan, and that's just where the magic happens. You see... Robin Williams regress from being the strung up adult to basically being a child in an adult's body, but it doesn't feel out of place or weird. You feel empowered by it. You see his journey from being hated by the Lost Boys to gaining their respect, even from Rufio, who was in charge of the Lost Boys whilst Pete was away. And speaking of Rufio, that boy had the greatest hair I've ever seen in my life. That hair defies gravity, it's not natural, and I love it. And I mean, if you have seen the film, which most people have, you'll understand that Rufio's death still haunts me to this day. It is one of the saddest moments in any movie I've ever watched in my life. And as well as having an all-star cast, like at the forefront of the film, the film also had just some amazing cameos as well. Believe it or not, Phil Collins, like the singer from Genesis, yeah, played a policeman. Glenn Close, you know, 101 Dalmatians. She plays a male pirate. Gwyneth Paltrow plays young Wendy in flashbacks. And we've also got George Luke as well, you know, creator of Star Wars. Him and Carrie Fisher, they're the couple that you see float up into the moon when Peter first leaves and goes to Netherland. And as well as that, actually, something I only figured out recently, at the very start of the movie, when they're all flying to England and they're sitting on a plane, you hear someone over the tunnel say, this is your captain speaking. Well, that is actually Dustin Hoffman, a.k.a. Captain Hook. It's like, they foreshadowed it, and that's something I've only just found out. Number two. Okay, as we near the end of my first ever podcast, 
we're going to move in to my favourite animated movie of all time. Now, anyone that knows me knows that I love Disney. When it comes to Disney, there is only one character I love more than any other. And that is, of course, Stitch. So, my number two movie of all time is obviously Lilo and Stitch. Released in 2002, Lilo and Stitch is the story of a blue alien and his human best friend. I mean, they weren't best friends to start with. He was in a lab, he escaped, crashed in Hawaii and found her there. I mean, the reason I love Lilo and Stitch more than any other Disney film, well, there's a few reasons, actually. One, Stitch is just my favourite. He's just mental, isn't he? Two, it happens in Hawaii. And for some reason, I've got a weird obsession with Hawaii. Always wanted to go there. And one day I will. And the third most important reason probably is, once again, the music. It's mainly Elvis. And I've loved Elvis since before I can remember. So the fact it's a Disney film littered with destruction and angry little alien and tons of Elvis music make it my favourite of all time. And the thing that makes me laugh the most, if we go back a few of my favourite movies, number four I believe it was, yeah it was number four, Ving Reams, aka Marcellus Wallace from Pulp Fiction is one of the voices in Lilo and Stitch and I mean... He looks exactly the same. He's towering. He's got the same angry demeanour. They even give him the exact same gold earring that he wore in Pulp Fiction. So they've basically taken Marcellus Wallace from Pulp Fiction, put him in a suit, and made him a Disney character. Now, I know they are thinking of remaking Lilo and Stitch live action, and I'm super excited, but I'm also super scared because... For me, this is my favourite Disney film ever, and if it gets ruined, I probably will cry. Honourable Mentions Now, there are some movies that I do absolutely love, but they just didn't cut it into my top ten. I'm not going to go through them in detail, I'm just going to tell you what they are, and hopefully you'll agree that these are some great movies. Now, so my Honourable Mentions are, obviously, Shrek 2. By far better than the first one. Then we've got a double whammy sort of. We've got Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. To me, they are one six-hour movie. And I'll always remember the reaction from that film. We've got The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser. Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Personally, I think the greatest action film of all time. And then two more classics. We've got The Goonies, childhood classic. Everyone loves the Goonies. And then probably the weirdest film I've ever seen. It is Donnie Darko. A film about time travel that still to this day makes no sense. And here we have it. My favourite movie of all time. Released in 1994, starring, like I said earlier, my favourite actor of all time. It is, of course, Jim Carrey. I mean, there's a choice of three here, because this actor did three great movies in one year. There was Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask. So my favourite movie of all time, starring the one and only Jim Carrey, is by far The Mask. Based on a comic book, 
from the publisher Dark Horse. The Mask is a film that I should not have watched as a kid. It's dark, it's violent, it's scary, and it's full of innuendos that I didn't understand till I was at least 15 years old. But that did not stop me watching this movie on repeat all the time. I'd watch it on VHS, finish the movie, and rewind it. And what made the film so good for me was obviously Jim Carrey. That man can do anything. He puts on a green latex mask and becomes a hyper-violent mask. And he can do anything. He's a living cartoon. From singing Cuban Pete to even all the prop gags in Landfield Park. It's just great. The dance scene at the Coco Bongos. There's just nothing about this movie that I do not like. Jim Carrey, Cameron Diaz, Peter Green, Ben Stein. It's just a great cast all out. Now there is one thing that I don't like about The Mask and that is the sequel. If you have ever seen The Mask and thought, ooh, let's give Son of the Mask a watch, don't do it. It ruins everything about that first film. The first film to me is perfect. It even spawned an animated series and a comic book afterwards as well. So there was comics before, then the movie came out, then they remade the comic books with Jim Carrey's likeness. I mean, that's how influential this movie was. I reckon I could easily put this film on and speak 95% of the words correctly with character voices as well. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to watch any other film in the rest of my life, the amount that I have already watched The Mask. And I know they're still trying to this day to get Jim Carrey to do a sequel to that film, and there's a part of me that really wants it because it would be just amazing. But at the same time, Jim Carrey sequels are never as good as the originals. And I mean, I don't think anything could be ever be as good as The Mask for me. It's so quotable. It's funny. It's quite scary in parts. Like Dorian Tyrell, creepy villain. Like I've legit had arguments with people because some people hate this movie. And I sit there and argue the fact of how good of a movie it is. One day I will do a podcast just about this movie where I start at the start of the film and go through it scene by scene and say why I love it and why it's influential to me. But that will come for another day. So there we have it. We've done it. 35 minutes later and I've gone through my top 10 movies of all time. Now hopefully I'm going to try and get a podcast out every two weeks or so, ranging from different topics, from movies, TV shows, even video games. And hopefully in the future, I'll even be able to get some people that I know and care about, friends and family, on said podcast. So, fingers crossed. But until then, I've been Ty. Please like, subscribe, share and all that. And we'll talk again soon. Welcome to Talking with Ty.